Welcome to the Recovering with Humor Letting Go Workshop. My name is Alice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Alice. Hi, and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started... We ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We have three speakers who will each share for 13 minutes. Thank you, Toby, for timing. Followed by questions from the floor. And the topic, again, for this session is recovering with humor. Um, Nonsense is the shortest sentence in the big book. So this should be a really good (laughs) session, yeah? Okay, this is from page 132 of the big book. We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we are not a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Everyone knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So let each family play together or separately as much as their circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Our first speaker is Jennifer. Let's give a big welcome to Jennifer M. Hi, everybody. I'm Jennifer, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jennifer. And by process of elimination, you knew that I was Jennifer, right? Because it's all all the dudes. Um, uh, I just want to start out by saying that um, I am here to be of service because my sponsor does a lot of service above the group level, and it would never have been my intention to come to Palm Springs when it was 120 degrees, Um, but it's good that I am here. And I have gone through probably three to four of those toilet seat covers blotting my face, blotting the sweat off my face. That's what they're used for. It's not like I'm laying my head on the toilet like, oh, God. Oh, God. It's awful here. Um, so humor and recovery. I mean, I've got, I got some stuff written down, but I kind of have my life. And I was talking to a friend before I got up here, and she said, you, you are the humor and recovery. So just, just do your thing, and, um, and if they don't like it, they can lump it. Um, so, um, I got into program about five and a half years ago, and, uh, my abstinent birthday is Thanksgiving. Um, yes, which is hysterical in and of itself. Um, and, uh, I have been, like I said, I've been in program for five and a half years, and, uh, before I got into program, my, uh, hobbies included bonding with people through compulsive overeating, and, uh, I just went to visit my family. If you have a chance to schedule a family trip back-to-back with a convention, do it. Just do it. 
Uh, I just spent five days really, really practicing my program and then was totally spent and came here to, uh, to get a little shot in the arm. So, uh, so yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. Um, so what to tell you. Um, <laughs> I have written down here, I take my program one day at a time. Sometimes it's one goddamn day at a time, and sometimes it's just one day at a time. Um, today it's uh, probably the latter. Um, yeah, so I have to tell you, I was before I got up, I was really nervous, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I will just have a drink. And I am not an AA, so that technically would be okay. But I was like, that doesn't really seem like it's in the spirit of the program. <laughs> to get up and be totally drunk and ramble on for 13 minutes about how great the program is <laughs> and how fun recovery is. Um, uh, you know, anybody else, I have to admit, when I got here and I got the name tag, I was happy that I could see other people, that I was like, okay, you're my people, you're my people, you're my people. But when I went into the restaurant last night, I was kind of like, hmm... <laughs> I just feel like anybody who doesn't have a tag on is like, it's kind of like watching an animal at the zoo, like, oh, how's she going to do? Can you do it? Are you going to be able to eat dinner like a normal person? Jeez, I don't know. I feel like. Um, but I had a necklace. I had a necklace on earlier today, and it had the word soul on it, and it was really important to my recovery. My recovery. Um, and then I was like, no, it actually just says grilled filet of soul, and it's what I'm having tonight at the speaker dinner. Oh, God. Dancing as fast as I can. Dancing as fast as I can. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, yeah, I also, also wrote here that I've turned my will, my life, and the next five minutes over to my higher power. So if it sucks, you take it up with my higher power. Um, yeah, no, I really, you know, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what to tell you. It's a fine line. In my, in my previous life, I was a professional performer. And so I spent some time when I first got into meetings trying to make my share the funniest thing it could be. And, um, and what that got was a lot of strained silence and not a lot of recovery, basically. <laughs> like, oh, great, I did five minutes at the La Crescenta Wednesday night meeting. Yeah! <laughs> and now I'm so depressed, I'm going to go home and open a bag of chips and not close it. So... It's, it, was, it was a challenge for me when, uh, when I was asked to do this. I was like, okay, is there a way to um, kind of be myself and try and provide the service, service of humor? Because God knows it can be a rough thing to walk into a meeting and it's just, you know, at various times it's just kind of shares that involve a certain amount of desperation. And I remember... Um, one of the ways I picked my first sponsor, she told a joke. And I was like, oh, thank God, thank God, there is some levity in this. Because otherwise it just feels like, it just feels like it's the first step with none of the rest of the steps. Like I'm powerless over food, my life is in the crapper. <laughs> oh, well, like, you know, like, there's got to be an upside. Like, what is the upside? Um, so now, like I said, it's been... While I've been in recovery, I have been pregnant, and, uh, and uh, that was hysterical, to be pregnant and have, 
you know, it's not enough to just be a regular compulsive overeater and have people say, why don't you take one bite, just take one bite, just take one bite. And then you're pregnant, and literally every other person is touching your body, which, you know, my myriad of body issues, and then telling me to eat for two. And I was like, you know what, I already used up that card. I basically did it my whole life. <laughs> already been eating for two. And, uh, and God bless my husband because... Um, when I got pregnant, everyone was like, oh, now you'll have to put on sensible shoes. And I was like, do you not know me? I have been wearing sensible shoes my whole life. Now you let me put on sensible shoes and don't make a big deal about it. Um, so, yeah, so um, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And um, I've, like I said, I've been in program since my, my kids don't know me out of program. And my daughter started a new school this year, and they have a lot of potlucks. God, do they have a lot of potlucks. Um, And so I always bring my dish that I can eat. And because they're all new people, you know, there's a question of, like, how much do you share with people what's appropriate to talk about? And, um, you know, the rest of the world, I find, eats dessert all the time. They're talking about dessert all the time. What are we going to have for dessert? What's your favorite dessert? How do you make it? What do you do? Oh, my, I don't know. And, um, And so now whenever we go... And someone brings out a dessert. Before I can say anything, my six-year-old goes, my mom can't eat that because when she starts eating it, she can't stop and it makes her crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I'm like, you know, that's... I wouldn't like to have to share my deepest, you know, vulnerabilities with that guy, you know, who I don't even know, that guy's dad. But okay, that's fine, and... (laughs) And, uh, and she keeps me honest, you know. She keeps me honest at Halloween time. <laughs> at Halloween time, she will, like, take her candy and be like, I'll be like, we were walking one time, you know, trick-or-treating, I go, I'll hold it for you. She goes, no, no, you can't hold it. <laughs> like, okay, all right, thanks, honey. Thank you. So that, I mean, that, that is a good thing. And I'm glad that I can have a sense of humor about myself. Um, you know, in, in my previous like, I, life, I used to do a lot of jokes about my body. And the jokes were kind of always about, like, ha, 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 I have a giant ass, ha, ha, ha. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it took a while to be like, here's the truth. I do have a generous ass. But now, I don't feel like I have to hide it or be like, oh, my God, I'm such a terrible person. Like, the size of my butt is no longer the value of the person that I am. Um, and that was a big, big deal. Um, because it's a painful way, especially with children. Like, you start to see very clearly the messages that you're, the unspoken messages that you're putting out. And so me wandering around joking about my body and how silly my body is. And, and last week I was vacationing with a friend, and, and she also, we, we talk, we're, we're the big butt ladies, and we talk about having a big butt. And, and my three-year-old said... She said, you know what? You and your friend have the same size butt. And I said, yeah, we do. And she goes, hmm, how about that? And then she was just kind of off doing her thing. (laughs) And for me, you know, like six years ago, it would have been shame spiral. It would have been like, oh, my gosh, how embarrassing. How embarrassing to have my body noticed. How embarrassing to have someone comment on my body. Um, how embarrassing to have somebody look at me, and I can't wait until I can be a better person who has a smaller body. 
Because in my mind, people with small bodies were always better people. And the best thing that ever happened to me was to meet somebody who was a small person who was a complete prick. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, look at that. It's good to know I don't have to aim for that anymore. So, uh, um, so what else can I tell you? Really, I am, uh, I am in awe that there's only like five people waving a program in front of their faces. I'm, I'm in the process of melting right now currently. Um, there are a couple of things that I heard today that I wanted to comment on that were really, really helpful to me. Um, one of them uh, was uh, there was a guy who was talking this morning about how he's done everything wrong in his recovery. And um, I just thought it was so great because he was standing up there talking about how he'd done everything wrong with, I believe it was at least a 200-pound weight loss. And I was like, oh, that's great. There's hope for me because I do a lot of things wrong. Um, and, you know, I came, I came to the program because I wanted to... Um, I wanted people to want to be around me, and that was not happening anymore. Um, I was just too... First of all, when you stop being interested in people, eventually they'll stop being interested in you. And uh, you could push that for a really, really long time. You can balance that out by taking them out to dinner. Sometimes people will forget that you're not interested in them if you buy them like a hamburger. They'll be like, oh, no, she's a nice person. No, she just wants somebody to eat with at the restaurant, so she's not alone. Um, and, and that just made me think a lot about what I have gained in recovery and what I had to give up. Like, it's not free. And, um, and it's okay to me that it's not free. Um, I, <laughs> frankly, I used to be a lot funnier. Used to be a lot funnier. Used to be able to um, tell a lot more jokes. I was a lot quicker. And then I realized that most of the jokes I was telling were at my expense or at the expense of the person closest to me, either literally, literally closest to me or, like, my husband. And, um, and when I started to get into recovery, I was like, okay, we can't lose the humor totally, but there has to be a shift. And um, I prayed before I came up here today. I pray about a lot of things. I mean, I, I, you know, I pray about my food. Um, I pray about my children. I pray about you know, being a good spouse. I don't ever pray about comedy and performing. And I was up in my room, and I kneeled down next to the couch, and I was like, wow, um, I feel like I've really been forced into a surrender here, God, because if I am praying to you for help with comedy and putting the onus on you, that is a whole nother level of my recovery. And what I feel might be the cruelest joke is that I have prayed about, about being of service in a way to give humor today. And this might be it. This might be what my higher power has in mind. And um, for me, who has always lived in fantasy, this is nothing like Madison Square Garden. There are no signs with my name. People aren't stomping. People aren't like, yeah. No, uh-uh. Um, I, tr- I try and laugh in my life more often than not. I try to um, 
laugh at circumstances. I try and laugh at my own expectations. Um, you know, I try and laugh at... Uh, God. Um, I try and laugh at things that instead I could cry about. Uh, last week I was visiting my family, and uh, as I've said, great, great way to practice your program. And... Um, and I was having an argument with my father. We, we, we kind of got into a, an argument. And my father has said to me on several occasions, I am like a compulsive over. Oh, my God, I am so sorry. My time has probably literally been up for like 16 minutes. So thank you very much for letting me share. Jennifer, that was awesome. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank I am... Um, I could relate to um, a lot of things, especially things that kids say. You know, when my son was little, we were in the liquor aisle of a supermarket, and my son blurts out, look, daddy's juice. (laughs) You know, I mean, so these kids will hit you between the eyes, and I, too, have, I mean, I have written inventories about people only because they were skinny. That was what they did to me. They were skinny. So I really related to a lot of what you said. Um, Our next speaker is... um, Scott, and he's got a shtick for us, even. So he he's got a he's he comes with his own uh, uh, what's shtick. the word? Yeah, shtick. <laughs> <laughs> his own shtick, and he's got a prop. He's got a prop that he'll share with us. So let's welcome Scott. Hi, I'm Scott. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. And. Uh, at some point, I'm actually going to pick that up and use it. At some point, I'm going to actually pick that up and use it. There we go. I work this stuff all the time. Anyway, um, I came to program weighing, weighing about uh, 345 pounds, and uh, I've given away 100 pounds. Um, I came to program 26 years ago, and uh, I wanted to thank you. I wanted to be uh, a comedian, um, but my mother told me I wasn't very funny. So, um, so that that did. And then she also it's really funny. I don't know. Uh, there was a book out a while ago called uh, "Too Fat to Fish," and um, it, it was hysterical. Anyway, my mother told me I was too fat to perform on a stage. And so I kind of took that to heart. I, I kind of took that to heart. Okay. Oh, mom, baby. Um, so my, my mother is uh, Jewish and my father is Italian. And so uh, I was raised pretty much with food and guilt. It was a good combination of the both. And... Um, I don't know how you can get through that life without a sense of humor. When I came to program, <clears throat> I had my sense of humor intact, and uh, I was told to grow up on a regular basis. Now it's been 26 years, and if I don't get told to grow up about once a year, I know I'm, I'm on it. I've got a problem. I'm not seeing the humor in life. And it's typically people who are either fairly new or in a lot of pain that are telling me to grow up. And so I don't, I don't take it personally anymore. I, I used to hate you if you told me that. Now I take it as a compliment. Um, 
So, in, in my mind, I am a performer. Um, and so, I too did the same thing when I first started coming to meetings. I had to figure out what was I going to say to get the room to laugh. And um, I spent a lot of time not getting anything out of meetings because I was looking to make y'all laugh. So what, <clears throat> what I did through you know, working with sponsors, and I learned that there's a time and place to perform. And um, because the only people that are safe to really perform in front of is you, you guys like everything I do. Um, I started performing for the first time ever at the OA talent shows in Orange County. And uh, through that, I got the confidence to take it out outside of our little group and, and perform in the real world. So for me, program has not only taken away the weight and the isolation, but it's given me confidence that I never had before, confidence that wasn't instilled by my parents, confidence that somehow I didn't pick up along the way. But you guys in the meetings by laughing at me and when you go to the talent show applauding when we're done, um, gave me the confidence to, to start doing things outside in the world. Um, I get criticized or used to get criticized a lot um, because I do see the humor in this disease. I, I still, you know, and I think humor comes from recognizing something within ourselves. So, you know, when I hear somebody talking about for the first time how they would, you know, pay attention to who the checker was at the market so that they weren't paying attention to how much was purchased, well, I thought I was the only one that did that. The fact that y'all do that, that's hysterical to me, you know. I thought, I thought I was really the only one. So the humor in recovery for me comes from the recognition of, of, of my weaknesses and seeing how you guys deal with my weaknesses, not in me, but in yourself. Um, you know, one of my weaknesses is, um, as a single guy in this program, is uh, there's a lot of women here. And um, I, go, I go to meetings and I go to retreats and, and I'd see the women all kind of, you know, stroking each other's hair. And it's like, man. How do, how do I become part of that? <laughs> so, I, I was at a meeting, and um, I heard a guy was, was pretty down. And he was listing all the things that were wrong in his life, and, and one of them was that he was having a fictional relationship with a lesbian girl. Well, I don't know about you, but I heard a song in that. But, you know, what kind of song? I mean, even though it's funny, I want to talk about real life. And, and having been in these rooms for 26 years and having to be somebody who I am attracted to women, um, I've, I've seen a lot of that behavior, and I've gone out with probably six different women in the 26 years in program. And four of them because we stayed in touch, because I'm not a horrible guy, they continue to stay in touch with me. I know what they're up to afterwards, and, and four of them are now lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, 
plus, plus one that wasn't in program, so I've dated five lesbians. So at what... At one point, um, a friend of mine uh, in program uh, from the San Diego area said, uh, you know, I have a friend who's been a lesbian for about 20-some, 30 years, and she thinks she wants to try not being a lesbian and, and want to go out with a guy, and we think you, <laughs> with your experience, <laughs> you're the guy. So um, I, I had to ask myself, okay, I've, I've been with five lesbians. Um, I've never been invited to join in or anything like that. So, so if I'm going to date a lesbian, what's, what's in it for me as, as, as a guy? So what I figured is it, it's knowledge. There would be knowledge in there. I've traveled around the world, you know, I travel around a lot. Ask a lot of people to tell me what they got. Ask a lot of women, tell me all they could. Tell me all the things that makes a man good. Don't want her style, don't want her world. Want what I could learn from a lesbian girl. Don't want to love me, I don't need that head trip. With a lesbian girl, I'll have a fictional relationship, yeah, fictional relationship. Am I too gentle? Am I too rough? With a lesbian girl, I'll learn all that stuff. How to kiss them and how to hold their heads. What's the right things to say when we're in bed? And all the world is traveling in them sensible shoes. And a lesbian woman, she'll teach me what to do. I don't want to consume her, I want to take a sip. So come on, gay women, we'll have a fictional relationship. Fictional relationship. Fictional relationship with a lesbian girl. I want a fictional relationship with a lesbian girl. If it takes all my money, my credit cards and such, I gotta know what to kiss, I gotta know where to touch. I don't care how long it takes, I got nothing but time. Then the next woman I meet, she'll think I'm divine. And when the world finds out the information I have snatched, they will all say, Scotty B, you're quite the catch. And then I will thank her, Lord, I'll kiss her on the lips. Oh, God bless lesbians in fictional relationships. Fictional relationships. Fictional relationship with a lesbian girl. I want a fictional relationship with a lesbian girl. Well, thank you. Okay, that was a lot of fun. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, in my mind, I too am a performer. So I loved hearing you. I think this is like an awesome session. I, um, 
I do a shtick. I have my own shtick. I'm going to tell you about my shtick since I'm the moderator. I, um, I lead the women's retreat in Orange County. It's awesome. Every spring, you guys should all come. I wish you could come. I, I know, really. Um, but I'm Sister Mary Alice, and my partner in our shtick is Rabbi Reuben Sandwich. And we kill. We kill them. So that's just a plug for the Orange County women's retreat. Okay. Now, to bring us home here, and then we'll have questions and answers, um, is Rick. So let's welcome Rick. Can you hear me? Hi. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater, a taste bud overachiever, <laughs> and a grateful 100-pound OAer. Um, despite our ongoing rule about no crosstalk, I must say that um, unlike our first speaker, Jennifer, who I enjoyed, I have never been pregnant in this program. <laughs> I have been a long-standing compulsive overeater, although how long I remain, st remain standing at my age of 86 is in the hands of my higher power. <laughs> I can only hope that my time up here expires before I become an endangered species before your very eyes. <laughs> I've been scheduled to do some comedy stuff for 13 minutes. You're scheduled to listen for 13 minutes, but if any of you finish before I do, just hold up your hand. Uh, in the short term, I've come to uh, believe that every person can be and is entitled to be a fool for at least five minutes a day. Wisdom, however, consists of not exceeding the time limit. <laughs> uh, this opportunity to appear on this panel sort of uh, came suddenly out of the blue. And uh, I was reminded of the immortal words of that famous Roman, Mark Antony, who, after riding all night through the desert to get to the tent of Cleopatra, his lady love, said, I did not come here to make a speech. <laughs> uh, be that as it may, uh, we O'Airs are not a glum lot, and many ordinary things in life create some light moments. For instance, the other day, as I was sitting in the kitchenette, reading my morning paper, my wife said, come to the window. That old guy next door just put his car in the garage. I said, why would I want to see that? She said, because it's our garage and the door is closed. <laughs> now, long before I ever came to Overeaters Anonymous, I sought medical help for my weight problem. I ended up by saying to my medical consultant, eat less and exercise more, that's it? That's your solution? And you call yourself a doctor? <laughs> I do recall, before I came to program, exiting a uh, shopping mall area, and in my shopping cart, um, I had a six-pack of beer, uh, box of cigars, 
and something very aromatic that I picked up at the fast food joint. And as I started to unload my loot, some rather raggedy-looking individual said, you know, I haven't eaten or drunk anything or smoked anything for three days. I said, my God, I wish I had your willpower. (laughs) Uh, In this program of ours, uh, we all are apparently pilgrims on the same journey through life. And as I look around the room at some of our great success stories, I have to realize that some pilgrims have better roadmaps than I do. But I soldier on. The trick through it all is to not be too cynical. And by the way, a true cynic once said that while money isn't everything, it sure keeps the children in touch. (laughs) One of the wonderful aspects of our OA program is that we get to make choices to take alternate routes as needed. Now, I'm very fond of stories, and here's one that shows perhaps an alternate route that you might relate to. It was the beginning of the baseball season, and the little league coach was recruiting kids to play on his team. And this little kid shows up and says to the coach, I'd like to play on your team. And the coach says, are you any good? The kid said, I'm a very good hitter. He said, well, let's see what you can do. So the kid took a ball in one hand, put a bat on his shoulder, tossed the ball up, took a swing at it, missed it completely. He shrugged his shoulders and he said, strike one. He put the bat back on his shoulder, tossed up the ball a second time, took an even mightier cut, missed again. Again he shrugged and said, strike two. Put the bat back on his shoulder and with grim determination, He tossed up the ball a third time and gave it the mightiest cut of his life, missed it completely, spun around, and ended up with his butt in the dirt. He looked up at the coach and said, can you use a good pitcher? (laughs) The coach said, are you any good? He said, I must be. I just struck myself out and I'm a hell of a hitter. Speaking of choices, my mother had a great rule about choices when it came to putting meals on the table for my brother and me. It was a very simple rule. Take it or leave it. Um, For a little personal history, after service in the Korean War, I set about gaining a uh, more meaningful place in life, which was my absolute goal. And did I achieve success in this regard? Well, yes and no. Any gains towards prosperity were unfortunately matched by gains in my waistline. I realized I had to do something about getting into shape when my knees would buckle and my belt would not. (laughs) It became quite clear to me that my doctor's orders to exercise religiously meant something more than praying I could make it around the block. Um, dieting routes that I took, like many in the program before they got here, it was really a question of mind over platter. 
sort of a problem of girth control. And due to my compulsive overeating behavior, I had none, no control whatsoever. And invariably, I would end up back at square one, or to be more accurately, round one. The longer I delayed in getting into OA, it seemed that the tougher it was to lose weight, because as time went on, my frame and my fat became very good friends, and they didn't want to part company. Not to digress, but have, has anyone ever noticed that annually the best-selling books are either cookbooks or diet books? <laughs> to me, this translates into a very clear message that as soon as you learn to cook something really well, you're faced with some excellent reasons why you should never eat it. At my very first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, I was admonished, as I'm sure all of us are, have been, to keep coming back. Uh, I obeyed that suggestion and regularly kept coming back, and for the first three months I said absolutely nothing at the meetings. And for those of you who may know me, you may find that very hard to believe. Ultimately, it came down to the fact that action was indeed the magic word that just going to meetings and sitting there like an unaddressed envelope would no more make me abstinent than sitting around in a garage would make me into an automobile. <laughs> I also came to realize that the OA rules were very easy to understand, that a Big, big Mac in each hand was not a balanced diet, <laughs> that unless I took the action to change, make some changes, I could very well end up proving that I was pursuing a process by which the broadness of mind and the narrowness of waste would simply change places. One truly amazing concept I came to embrace in OA was the spirituality side of life, something with which I had previously little concern and virtually no interest. Ultimately, I realized, as many of us have, that I couldn't do it alone. I make what I call spiritual 911 calls. That's a major part of my program. And the wonderful thing about my spiritual 911 calls, I'm never put on hold. I'm never answered in a language that I don't understand. No one's ever on vacation. It's 24-7, 365 a year. It's a partnership between me and something greater than myself. And here's a little story that uh, may illustrate that. The scene of this uh, event takes place in the days of the Old West. There was this little western town with maybe a couple thousand people living there. Had a church. And the pastor of the church began hearing rumors about some Kansas sodbuster farmer who had come out and bought a piece of land about 10 miles out of town and he turned it into a wonderland. The rumors kept persisting and finally the preacher after Sunday service was over decided he'd go visit this farmer. So he hitched up his horse and shay and drove out the 10 miles and when he got to the place he couldn't believe his eyes. He'd been traveling through desert scrubland 
for all 10 miles. And here was this place, virtually a Garden of Eden. There were green fields that were fenced. There were cattle and sheep grazing. There were chickens. There were pigs. There were crops that were growing in the garden. There was a big red barn and next to it a well-built house with smoke slowly spiring out of the chimney. Idyllic. Couldn't believe his eyes. So he went up to the door and introduced himself to the farmer. And after commenting, he said to the farmer, you know, you and God have done a wonderful job out here. And the farmer said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. Um, about the last thing I really want to say is that uh, abstinence and marriage are very much like being in the army. Many complain, but it's quite remarkable how many people re-enlist. <laughs> it takes uh, some courage to go forward with this program, but do not be afraid to take the big step because you'll never cross a yawning chasm in two small jumps. <laughs> Make the big commitment. If you truly believe in the OA program, everything will be okay at the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> and I find as I travel the OA highway of life, the trick is to never run out of gas. I remember the first meeting I ever came to. It was a Friday night at a hospital in Glendale. There were well over 100 people there. And cynic that I was, I looked around the room and I thought to myself, how is it humanly possible for so many ugly people to be in one place at one time? <laughs> I told you about the first three months where I just sat and listened. And in those three months, those people had undergone a m remarkable transformation. <laughs> they had all turned beautiful, just like this group here today. I don't see anybody who doesn't belong here, whose company I don't enjoy. And as I've gotten older, I've lost an awful lot of friends. But by the same token, I've made an awful lot of friends in this program. And for that, I'll be eternally grateful. Loneliness is one of the symptoms of the disease and this is the place to get rid of that feeling. I think about my folks and the upbringing I had. I can't blame them uh, for uh, how I turned out. I did that pretty much on my own. I'm not proud of all of it, but uh, they did the best they could. My mother, uh, before she passed at the age of 90, uh, lived in... Uh, Leisure World, retirement uh, community. And I used to call her every day and go down and visit her about every other weekend. And one day she said to me on the phone, um, you won't be able to reach me this weekend because the girls and I are taking a bus trip to Las Vegas. Time's up. This is, this, this is the end. And uh, call me Sunday night when you get back. So I waited till Sunday night and I called her and 
I said to her, Mom, how was the trip? Oh, she said it was really very nice. But it wasn't so nice coming back. I said, why not? And she said, because the husband of one of the girls died on the bus. On the way back from Las Vegas? She said, that's right. I said, what happened? She said, I don't know, sore loser? (laughs) Anyway, I see my time indeed is up. Thanks for listening. That was awesome. Thank you very much, Rick. Um, You know, they say we're supposed to laugh 100 times a day, and I bet we laughed 100 times just with this panel. You know, it's it's just been awesome. So now um, the meeting is open for questions or shares from the floor to the panelists. Uh, We ask that panelists limit your answers to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. And we will end promptly at 5 o'clock. Does anyone have a comment or a question for our panelists? And if you ask it, I'll say it again into the mic so it gets into the recording. Should we ask Scott to play his song again? (laughs) Here, Scott has a question for you. How many were actually offended by that song? Be honest, I, I play that in public and uh, often want to know. I, I actually predicted that a lot more would be offended. There was, there was a couple. I apologize for, for those of you who are offended. I wanted to know how many were offended by the song, and, uh, and they raised their hands, and uh, not as many as I thought would be. Is the, is the answer, and I apologize to those who were. You didn't find it from the hetero perspective? Uh-huh. Oh, got it. Got it. Much less. Okay, thank you. I just want to say I think this was so fabulous and everything about it. The people like the panelists. That was that comment. And you too. <laughs> Comments, questions? question was, um, <laughs> hello, um, the question was, can the panelists share any examples of God's sense of humor in their lives? Hmm. Looks like you got something, Jennifer. Yeah, um, it, it's, it was a big one to me. 
Um, about eight years ago, um, my husband and I were having a lot of problems. And, um, and at that point, I was like, I think I need to get into a 12-step program. And then he got into a similar 12-step program. He got into his own 12-step program. And we were trying to decide whether or not we were going to get a divorce. And then I found out I was pregnant. And uh, my husband and I have been in recovery the whole time now. And we have two children. And we have a much better marriage than we ever, ever would have had without recovery. But it, now it's funny. At the time, it wasn't so funny after I peed on the fifth stick. And I was like, oh, my god. I'm going to have to have a baby with this dirt ball. But um, now it's great. So that's my experience. I don't know how funny this is, but uh, as I said in my earlier comments, my relationship with anything spiritual was uh, virtually non-existent. Um, as time went on, that started to change. And I sort of compared what I heard from somewhere out there. Like It was like listening to a shortwave radio. If you've ever done that, you'll notice that the signal fades in and out. Depends on atmospheric conditions. There's nothing you can do about it. But uh, that's the way it came. But there have been moments when uh, I knew there had to be something there. I remember particularly a trip that we took through Arizona, and we stopped at uh, a place where there was a group of Indian um, jewelry makers and was actually on the edge of a cliff. And I could see 180 degrees as I looked beyond. It was the most awe-striking experience at the time. And I, out of the blue, the thought came to me that if God is anywhere, that's where he lives. It may not be funny, but... I share that moment with myself time and time again when I'm feeling a little on the downside. Thank you. Yes. I was 
getting close to the end of my career. And my husband told me, I better retire or he won't have anyone to retire with. And I said, okay, God, show me. What am I supposed to do? I'm only 63, and you know about the retirement. I want to make sure I have enough money to keep on keeping on. And my mother didn't die so she was 94, and uh, I was scared. And so I kept saying, every night before I went to bed, I said, okay, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And one day I'm driving home from work, and I'm almost to my house. I can see it. And I wrap my car, which I had just redone, around a pole. And I said, okay, God, I hear you. But it wasn't enough yet. The next day I went to work and I was wearing a lab coat and I had the thing I called my brain in my pocket. And when I went to the bathroom, it went in the toilet. And I said, okay, God, I got it. I'm retiring tomorrow. <laughs> Speaking of retirement, my wife defines retirement as twice as much husband for half as much money. <laughs> She said, I may have married you for better or for worse, but not for lunch. Oh, that was great. That's, I wish this was longer. This has been awesome. So, but there are a few things until, before we, as we close. That's all the time we have for sharing. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers. Woo! You guys did an awesome job and a lot of service. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Uh, let's join hands and close with the OA promise, which is the I put my hand in yours.